Jesus Christ is the answer for all of these struggles. He's our rock. He's our defender. He's our redeemer. And he's the answer to all of the struggles our nation is going through right now. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew. Uh, we're going to come back to it, Psalm 107 in a moment, but Matthew chapter number 8. America is a troubled nation. Uh, who would have imagined that even with a free enterprise businessman as president, America would be plunging into socialism at breakneck speed? Who could have imagined a world like what has shaped up in the last six months? We shudder to think what would cause a law enforcement officer to do what we saw on camera with the death of George Floyd. And admittedly, we don't know. We don't know the information. We don't know the facts. I was praying with some men a couple of days ago, and I, I, uh, God just impressed upon my heart that I, that I jumped to conclusions that I still don't know are correct conclusions or not. I, I, when I saw the video of what happened to George Floyd, I, I jumped to some, some conclusions. I immediately thought this guy has, has just uh, broken the law in some despicable way. Uh, this man um, it has resisted arrest, and, uh, and so he's being manhandled pretty severely because of his struggle in resisting of arrest. And then later, God smote my heart and says, you know, you jumped to some conclusions. I don't know what happened leading up to what the camera feed showed. I don't know anything about the individual. I know there's some, a variety of stories that have circulated. Christianity Today had a, uh, a, a fairly extensive article about, uh, about how the how George Floyd was a role model to uh, young men in Texas before he moved to Minneapolis, and he moved in order to be involved in a, in a Christian ministry in Minneapolis. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, other reports have gone into his criminal past, and I, I don't know. I just realized God smote my heart that I see a man on the ground with another man with his knee in his neck, and I just jumped to conclusions that I don't even know any of the facts, any of the information. Why did I do that? Why? It had nothing to do with the color of his skin or the color of the police officer's skin. I was raised in a very um, non-racial environment uh, in, in, in the home that I grew up in. And, uh, and when I saw that on the video, I, the thought that he was... a was black never crossed my mind. The fact that the police officer was white didn't cross my mind. I just saw a police officer manhandling or, or severely dealing with a guy, and I jumped to some conclusions. I, I, I don't know. But I know that, that it's wrong to jump to conclusions, and God smote my heart for jumping to conclusions without knowing any information and facts about what happened. And I know that as a result of what happened, that our country's been ripped apart again as it has so many times over the issue of, of, um, of racism. And I know that, the, that we've been shocked. I've been shocked by the vast number of Americans who think that plunder and thievery and killing people is the answer to something that they don't think was a just thing that happened. 
And so across our country, our country has been torn apart. I think probably in the future, the first six months of 2020 are going to go down in the history books as being one bizarre period of time. The change in America, the change in all of our lives has been just profound uh, in a bad way. Uh, and, and we'll probably look back and say, boy, that was, that was a very unusual, bizarre six months in the life of America. And so as I think of the anger, the fear, the anxiety that is common in so much of America today, my mind goes to one simple phrase. Jesus is the answer. And the word of God has profound things to tell us that have a calming influence in our lives. And those calming influences, those calming answers are so very important. But to say Jesus is the answer is a, a bit of a trite cliche, is it not? Jesus is the answer. Well, what's the question? Jesus is the answer. Well, what does that mean, Jesus is the answer? Does he make everything right? Does he fix every problem? Does he make every pain go away? Does he heal every disease? Does he change every circumstance? What do you mean Jesus is the answer? And that's a fair question to ask. My mind begins to go to the Word of God to various passages of Scripture. And so I want us to turn for a few moments just to three passages of Scripture that I believe have some calming influence in the midst of, of difficulty. Now, you may not be filled with fear and anxiety. You, you may not be filled with anger as an individual. But all of us have people around us that are. And we need to be able to be the kind of Christians that represent Jesus Christ well in a troubled culture, troubled world. And so I trust that these three passages of Scripture will be a blessing to you. I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 8 because the word calm has, uh, has kind of grabbed a hold of my mind this week, this last few days. And in Matthew chapter 8, we have one of the recorded times, a gospel story in which Jesus Christ is a source of calm. It's one of the stories about, about a raging sea and a raging storm on the sea. And so let's come down to verse number 23. Matthew 8, verse number 23. The Bible says, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. That's a good thing. It's always a good thing to be following Jesus Christ. Where he goes, I'll go. And so he got in the boat and they followed right along behind him, got in the boat with him, not knowing where that boat was going to go. And behold, there rose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Jesus linked Fear to little faith. That's an interesting thought to meditate on. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Why are you fearful? Don't you know Jesus Christ? Don't you have a relationship with him that's vibrant? Why, why are you fearful? 
do you have, have no faith? Interesting question. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Oh, that's a great story, isn't it? One of the stories of Jesus in the midst of a raging storm and... And he speaks, and the wind stops blowing, and, and the, the waves stop crashing over the side of the boat, filling the boat with water. He speaks, and all of a sudden the water turns into a glassy surface, and it grows so quiet because the wind has totally ceased blowing and howling. And the disciples asked the right question. What manner of man is this? I want you to notice the disciples focused on who he was. I like, uh, my wife and I enjoy the, the gospel, Southern Gospel Trio, Greater Vision. And uh, one of the songs that they wrote and they uh, sing regularly is called He'd Still Been God. He'd Still Been God. They wrote it, most of the songs they write, they write around a story in the Bible. And they wrote the song around the story of Jesus calming the troubled waters. The words of the song go like this Master, carest thou not that we perish? Can't you see that we're about to die? Save this book we're on, this book we're on, this boat we're on, is surely going under. Save us now, his disciples cried. So Jesus rose to stand against the tempest, knowing his disciples had no faith, just to prove that he was still the master. He spoke, and the wind and seas obeyed. And then the chorus He'd still been God, even if he never calmed a storm on the raging sea. He'd still been God, even if he'd never caused the blinded eye to see. He'd still been God, even if he never brought a crippled man to his feet. It's not about what he did. It's all about who he was. Because even if he'd never done a single miracle, then Jesus would have still been God. It wasn't what he did. It's who he is. What he did simply drew attention to the fact that Jesus Christ is God. All power, all ability, all strength. Jesus can do anything. And if he never performed those miracles, he'd have still been God. And the miracles merely give us the opportunity to focus on who he is. Jesus is the answer. What does that mean? It means Jesus is God. And Jesus, regardless what he decides to do or not do, 
whether he lets the storm rage for a purpose unbeknownst to me, or if he chooses to calm that particular sea, that storm, in order to draw attention to the fact that he can, he's still God. And that's what it means to say Jesus is the answer. He's God, and he has the ability to do whatever he needs to do in order for his purpose and his plan and his kingdom to be established one day on earth. Jesus is the answer. He is God. And, and, and it's not that he calmed the sea. It's that he could calm the sea and did it to prove who he is. Oftentimes, people focus on what he did when he healed the crippled or gave sight to the blind eye or calmed the sea, but fail to make the leap of faith from what he did to who he is. The disciples immediately recognized that what he did is not nearly as important as to who he is. What manner of man is this? Who is Jesus Christ? That even the wind and the waves obey him. The answer is, he's eternal God. That's who he is. And that's what we mean when we say Jesus is the answer. And so Jesus, over and over again in the Gospels, gave us story after story to draw our attention to his great deity. That we might have confidence in him. Why are you afraid? Don't you have faith in who I am? Don't you know me? Have you forgotten Peter, James, and John? Matthew, Bartholomew? Have you forgotten who I am? Why are you so fearful? Don't you have faith in me? And so to prove once again who he was, he spoke and the winds and the wave obeyed him. That brings comfort. I don't know about you, but that, that calms my soul in the midst of crises. I know the picture is far bigger than the six months that have just passed in America. I know the, the picture is far bigger and, 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 and grander. Is that a word? Grander? More grand? It is bigger and more grand than the little experiences that I've had and the inconveniences I've had. Or the problems that we've wrestled with in America over the last six months. Jesus is the answer because he is God. He's the answer to crisis. But then this psalm. The, the gospels give us a story from the life of Jesus Christ. That gives us great truth to meditate on. Regarding the, the identity of who Jesus Christ is and what it means for Jesus Christ to be the answer. Psalms gives us the personal experience of uh, an individual, the psalmist who wrote this psalm from the experiences of his life. And under the inspiration of God, obviously, and from the experience of his life, the observing of people and situations in his world, he wrote, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he 
is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And I want you to notice he focuses, he gives a command. Uh, we're told that we're to be giving thanks to God, but we're given a, a reason why. Actually, two reasons why. We're, we're, we're told that we are to give thanks to God for he is good. That's his character. And his mercy endureth. He is merciful to his creation. That's his actions. And so I am told to give thanks to God for two reasons. Because of who he is and because of what he does. And so launches this amazing 107th Psalm. Focusing on our gratitude to God. And so verse number 2 exclaims, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do you know God? Talk about it. Say something about it. Acknowledge Him. If you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, those whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Our world needs to know that Jesus is the answer. And they need to understand what that means, that Jesus is the answer. It means Jesus is the eternal God who can do anything that he needs to do for his causes and purposes. And that breeds confidence in a God who has such power and control over his world. Now, the psalmist then begins to illustrate from what he'd observed in life. He'd observed a lot of situations in which we can see what God is like and what he does that draws out the conclusion that God is worthy of being thankful, grateful to him for who he is and what he's done. He illustrates this with a number of different situations. He illustrates this with a traveler who's traveled through a solitary place uh, looking for uh, a place to dwell. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're, they're wandering through a solitary place, lost, wandering through the countryside, hungry and thirsty. And then they cry out to God. In their trouble, verse 6 tells us, and God delivers them. And what's the, what is the grand conclusion? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. That's who He is. His wonderful works to the children of men. That's what He does. For He satisfies the longing soul, filleth the hungry soul with goodness. The, the psalmist had observed people who were lost, who didn't know the way, who were suffering hunger and thirst. Who in the troubles of life, as they wandered through life aimlessly, in their trouble they cried out to God. And he'd seen over and over again where God, because he's a good God, and because he's a God who does wonderful works, he came and he got involved in the trouble they were in. And he led them, he delivered them out of their distresses. And so what's the conclusion? We should, we should, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And, and then he illustrated it with a prisoner of all things. He went from a wanderer who's just lost. He's not being pointed out as having done anything wrong other than maybe 
not listening to his wife and asking for directions. I mean, he's just wandered aimlessly and he's lost. He's not really done anything wrong. But then he illustrates a prisoner who is getting the just result of his sin. He talks about him in verse number 10, sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. He's chained in a prison cell. Why? Because they rebelled against the words of God, the laws of God, the instructions of God. They contend the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he, God, brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Here's a who's in jail, getting the, 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 the just result of their sin and rebellion. God brought harsh judgment into their life because they deserved it. And so out of a prison cell where they're being punished for their sin, verse 13 says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he said, God delivered them. And so what's the conclusion? Verse 15, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works. He has broken the gates of brass, cut the bars of iron in sunder. He let the captive free because they repented of their sin. Oh, that men, oh, that men would, would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works. Then he illustrated with someone who's sick. In verse number 17, fools. Because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Now, some people don't get sick because they've sinned. But the, the illustration that he gives in this psalm is that because they had rebelled against God, God punished them not by putting them in jail. God punished them by making them sick. And because of their rebellion against God, because of their transgression, their iniquities, they're afflicted, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. They can't eat. They've lost their appetite. They've drawn near the gates of death. They're dying because of the sickness that is the judgment of God in their particular situation. And then, verse 19 says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He sent his word, verse number 20 says, and healed them and delivered them. From their destructions. What's the conclusion? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Declare his works with rejoicing. And then he gives a final illustration. It's a person in a boat. A person in a boat. In verse number 23, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, merchantmen who carry their commodity from port to port, and they're sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, perhaps. They go down to the sea in ships, and they do their business, and these see the works of the Lord as wonders in the deep. Oh, they see some aspects of God that we land lovers don't see. In verse number 25, God commands and raises the stormy wind and lifts the waves thereof. He said at the beck and call of God, all of a sudden, a calmy sea can turn into a raging waves. And, and, uh, and, and the boat goes up on top of the wave. And then it goes way down the valley between the waves. And it goes way up in the air. And it goes crashing way down into the deep. And whoa, is God. The God who created nature, the God who commands nature, the God who speaks and nature obeys him. Is our God ever powerful? 
They mount up to the heaven. They go down into the depths again. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They know they're helpless. They know they're at the mercy of the wind and the waves. And they know they can't fix the problem. And their hearts melt. They can't walk. They stagger like a drunken man. They're at wit's end. They're at wit's end. Interesting phrase, isn't it? I'm at wit's end. I don't know what to do. I'm at wit's end. Everyone's mind's going back to uh, Colorado Springs, right? I'm at wit's end. Wit's end corner or whatever. I don't know. I'm at wit's end. Then, verse 28 says, they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves that are ever still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them into their desired haven. They pull into port. They, they don't pull into port. They float into port safely after seeing God. Bring them through the horrific storm. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works and children of men. The, the psalmist had experienced some things. He had seen some things. He had friends. He heard stories. He knew situations. He saw over and over and over again that Jesus is the answer. That in our troubles, in our distresses at wit's end, we need to turn to God. Because Jesus is the answer to what's happening in America today. He's the answer for the fear. He's the answer for the anxiety. He's the answer for the rage and the ang anger. He's the answer for all racial problems. Answers in Genesis put out a, as soon as this, all these riots and this anger and this rage began to boil over across our country. Answers in Genesis put out a bulletin said, we've got the answer to racism. Here are the materials, the tracks, the booklets, the videos, the information, the knowledge. Here's the answer to all racism, racial problems and discriminations. You know, the Bible has the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus is the answer. And the Bible simply lays out. That there's only one race. It's called the human race. And whether a person's eyes slant this way or that way. Or the amount of melatonin in their skin is more and makes them of a darker complexion. Or less and makes them of a paler complexion. Regardless any idiosyncrasies of physical characteristics. We're all related. We all came from the same dad and mom. We're all of the human race descended from Adam and Eve. And to disfavor somebody, another human being, for whatever reason, is to disfavor family. 
It's to have an attitude toward a brother or a sister. The Bible has the answer. We are one race. We are one blood, the New Testament tells us. We are all related together. There's no reason to have any bad attitudes about another group of the family. Because Jesus Christ loves everybody. And he loves everybody equally. Jesus is the answer to all the problems and struggles that our world faces. And our world needs to turn to him and cry out to him for his help in the midst of turmoil and trial. And when we cry out to him out of our trouble, willing to go back to his word and let his word shape how we think, let his word shape what we believe, let his word dictate how we act then all problems can diminish because Jesus Christ is the answer. Well, our time is gone. Let me just point you to this one last one. You can uh, enjoy it yourself. My mind goes to Jesus Christ's words, the red words in the Bible. If you have a red letter edition, Jesus speaking himself. And one of the greatest passages where you find that is in John chapter 14, and so just turn there and let me read a, the first verse or two, and then we'll close. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking. In the most turbulent time the disciples will ever go through, they are just hours before Gethsemane. They're just hours before watching their, their beloved master and friend brutally beaten and murdered, nailed to a cross. This is the most turbulent crisis that they'll ever face in their lives. And walking into that time of crisis, Jesus Christ tells them he's the answer. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God? Believe also in me. And he began that amazing passage of scripture where Jesus Christ brought calming answers to troubled hearts. You read down through those verses. And you know what you'll find? You'll find. I have a place. To live forever. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. You know whatever happens here on earth. I have a place to live forever. You know what else? I'm going to be escorted there one day. Because if I go and prepare a place. I'm going to come and receive you. I'm going to be escorted, personally escorted, to my eternal home. You know what else? I know I'm going there. He said, you know the way. And old Thomas blurted out, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I know that I'm going there. Because I know Jesus Christ. But you know what else I find? I've got a job to do before I get there. He talked about that in verse 12. In verse 16 he says, I've got somebody to help me with my job. While the world is in crisis mode, going crazy, we've got a job to do. 
The job is to take the answer of Jesus Christ to a world who desperately needs him. And that's a big job. And so he gave us a big helper called the Holy Spirit to help us with our job of telling people about the answer to the troubles and crises of life. What comforting words. And so Jesus said later in that chapter and again in the last verse of chapter 16, he said, my peace I give to you. My peace. You can have my peace in your heart in the Garden of Gethsemane on a, and on Crucifixion Day. You can have my peace in your heart. If you'll take these calming answers and make them the reality of who you are and how you live your life. Thank you for joining us for part of a Sunday service at Community Baptist Church. I hope to meet you soon. May God impress His love upon your heart this week.